This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the globe, the world, wherever you happen to be seated while you're listening to this wonderfully amazing, awesome podcast, and I am not embellishing in the least bit, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team, and if you can do math and fractions, you know that there's somebody else helping me do it. His name is DJ Put The Music To It, Mr. Brandon Pham. Chicka, 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 what? I think I've done that intro before. This is Brandon Pham. Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, bringing with me a uh, special guest you might have heard of him before richard Koo. hey hey richard hey what's up guys i'm happy to be back i am excited to chat let's do it i'm happy that you're back let me tell you <laughs> you're, it was so much fun bringing you on the last episode when we did the breakdown of here's of the storm so yeah you're a wealth of knowledge that we look to bring back to the show and we're glad that you accepted that offer to come back Right. And Heroes of Storm was just one part of your life. And we want to give you due justice and kind of open up other parts of your life that that uh, that you want to talk to us. About. <laughs> we'll keep that's it, on, we'll keep it there. We'll, we'll, we'll go from there. So uh, uh, just a little intro for uh, listeners out there, uh, a little background. And when, yeah. Of course, you're returning uh, I guess so people might but just in case they missed the last one. Oh, uh, you want me to do a quick recap? Just mm-hmm. a quick. All right, hold up. Let me lo- let me open my link- let me open my LinkedIn real fast. Okay. <laughs> I'm not just kidding. I thought um, you were gonna say something else, but no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll probably on the show. You see my resume? Yeah, yeah no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's because I can remember. So, like, you know, you kind of said Heroes of the Storm. Like, I worked on that for three years, but like, you know, I spent most of my time about six years working on StarCraft Two. Uh, and then I worked a, about a year and a half uh, at Wargaming, at Riot, um, also simultaneously doing startup stuff, pitching to investors, coming up with new ideas, trying to trying to chase the American dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now I am working with Brendan at Pocket Gems as game design director on an unannounced secret project. So, ooh, ooh spooky. I can't really talk about that, but yeah. Yeah, but I've been in the industry only, for a while. Only, only the team Brandon members know about the game <laughs> yeah. in this group. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, Richard, you're you're a very interesting person, and we've always wanted to talk to you about uh, the rest of your career outside of Blizzard, because sure. uh, you know the podcast covers a lot of professionals from the indie development, mobile development and AAA development. And you have done all three, sir. You check all the boxes. <laughs> Achievement yeah. unlocked. And uh, so we just want to start from the beginning, man. Like, how was it? Um, you started a career at Blizzard, right? Am I correct? Uh, actually, I started before then at Visual Concepts, which oh. is a... <laughs> That's why you got to open the LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, I... I worked at there for, according to my LinkedIn, for one year and three months, uh, back in 2003. I started as QA. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was a QA tester, I actually was modding for, uh, ostensibly Blizzard, as uh, for Warcraft 3. 
I was making a bunch of mods. They were all really cool. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like I remember actually taking in my laptop while QA testing and min-maxing my time. Like while I'm waiting for like, you know, the Xbox to reload because I crashed the game, I'm just like turning to my laptop and actually scripting in Warcraft 3 and, oh, wow. and making cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I started my um, professional career in game development at Visual Concepts as a tester. I got promoted to lead at some point. I forget when. But I, I wrote like, because I was modding on mm-hmm. the side, it allowed me to do my QA job really, really well. Yeah. I wrote something like, you know, over 900 bugs for oh. like the games that I was working on. Yeah, they took notice. They were like, you're really good at writing bugs. I'm like, yeah. I, <laughs> Who's that asshole writing bugs for us? <laughs> <laughs> He's saying shit like, this button doesn't work and yeah. these crashes happen and, and all this stuff. Um, yeah. We love But that. yeah, like uh, when I first started, like I didn't know anything about like uh, ESPN football or college mm-hmm. hoops or baseball, but cool. you best believe after I started working on it, I like started watching Sports Center and like really understanding all of the stuff, like taking my work kind of home with me, but in a fun sort of way because it was always like just fun watching like all the different sports games and like figuring out how it actually works when I'm testing stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was fun, but yeah, no, that's when I started. I started back in uh, 2003. It's actually gotta be fun to do some research. Like, Hey, I need to go watch sports to do better <laughs> at my job. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really cool. I mean, everybody on the floor all loved watching sports. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, I was working night crew. So like everyone, like if you work night crew QA, you're a special kind of like dedicated developer because you don't get home till like five o'clock in the morning and then you sleep oh, wow. during the day. You know what I mean? It's like it's like you're super dedicated to it. Yeah. And what makes it even like kind of crazier when I say this is that like so visual concepts is in is uh, in San Rafael, uh California. Mm-hmm. My previous job was actually as a GameStop employee in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So what, wow. what happened, Yeah, so what happened was the assistant manager, uh one of the associates and myself, um all like caught wind of, "Oh hey, they're hiring a visual concepts for QA tester. I think we should all apply for it." So the three uh. of us did. And we all got the job and the three of us moved out all the way from New mm-hmm. Jersey to California. Oh, wow. um, all at the same time. So it was a really special time, you know, like we, we all really like um, we hung out a lot. We talked a lot about our, like our, our game QA stories. We we're all really excited. It all just felt, you know, we were all like just young kids with dreams wanting to get into the video game industry. So, well, you know, for sure there was a QA manager who was ready to take advantage then. Cause if I saw three resumes completely <laughs> across the country, young guys for the QA spot, yeah. you know, they're not going to quit. You know, it's interesting. Cause I remember getting the call from the QA manager and, you know, I answered all his questions. I was like, you know, that super excited guy. I was like, yeah, I, I finished my education at Cornell. I want to be a QA tester. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he's like, this guy's an idiot this guy's a complete <laughs> idiot let's 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 hire this guy because he clearly is going to go places and help us yeah. out and uh yeah no like we we all we all flew out we were all i think we all worked super super hard um mm-hmm. it was it was great yeah but for sure i'm sure like um they saw that and saw like you know diamonds in the rough mm-hmm. right, right right yeah What's well, a fun fact? Like I started uh, my career over at Tukimarin, so it was probably after oh. they moved from San Rafael. So I, I, I 
I hung out with a lot of the visual concept guys. We shared the same building. Dude, I'm going to look you up right now on LinkedIn, yeah. man. This is like, this is, oh, wow. That's a yeah. nice picture. <laughs> no, I just got to see when you started working there. Like, that's cool. I yeah. didn't, I, I had no it idea. After, dude. It's probably after you're done. So I started there around 2008. So you yeah. probably left by then. Yeah. But it's really cool. It's like, we, we talk to uh, people, obviously, on the podcast once in a while. And some roots started with visual concept. It's just funny how everyone kind of cross paths there. you yeah. probably know a lot of people i know a bunch they're of all there still yeah, they're the still there it's like still there yeah the the guy i don't know if you did you ever work with uh, a producer named zach timmerman or uh works with names oh uh, it's okay you man. gotta describe his face to me he's white you know uh <laughs> no, he's got a great smile no. <laughs> no, yeah. but zach zach was uh zach was like Zach Zimmerman, he was he was a big on, uh, familiar, yeah. college hoops and and basketball. Anyway, we, we'll talk. We could like think we'll about talk that. offline with that. Yeah, yeah. It's a small industry though, you know. Mm-hmm, so you always want to make sure that like everybody's kind of cool, like, uh, yeah, cool with each other. You stay connected and and all that good stuff. Yeah. And if you want to burn bridges, make sure you really want to burn it. <laughs> That's I just set that torch on. What uh, you you mentioned before, kind of offline, like uh, you. Your both your parents had PhDs, and you wow. graduated from yes. Cornell. Like you came yeah, from yeah. a very educated family. Yeah. Um, How did you make it out of the house? When you <laughs> yeah, exactly. wanted to be QA? No, I, I want to be QA. Game. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually uh, that's a, that's a story in and of itself for sure. Okay. I'm happy mm-hmm. to share it though because like my my I've realized that my my life is actually punctuated by kind of like these ridiculous like beliefs that I have in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I went originally went to Cornell to be a doctor. So this mm-hmm. is back in 1998, you know, the mm-hmm. stereotypical Asian going to become a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do was make video games. And um, back in college during from 1998 and prior to that, I had been using the Blizzard uh, Starcraft and Warcraft three editor to make mods and stuff. So I always enjoyed entertaining people uh, and being creative. Um, so as I went to Cornell, the, the reality is like you can get all straight A's like I did in high school. You can win all sorts of awards, which I did. Uh, but then you go to college and then like it's another level of like, no, yeah. these motherfuckers are. Wait, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. I said it now. Okay. I said it. Okay. <laughs> well, edit out the part where I said uh, I, I stumble on myself. Okay. <laughs> these motherfuckers are like built <laughs> to be like the better doctor you know so like my grades started slipping and i started to fall back on like you know what do i actually want to do and and that got me to think about you know i want to make games i want to write stories i want to compose music mm-hmm. and i i wanted to go and do that and one thing you don't know brandon about me and you'll find an hour it's like i actually composed music and wrote stories in, in, yeah yeah i wrote a, i read a lot of yeah, <laughs> i read a lot of uh epic so, fantasy so novels, asian, right? super asian <laughs> yeah super asian yeah, you deserve team brandon bro i don't understand i don't understand these stereotypes that you have <laughs> Oh no! It's, <laughs> one skill is not enough. Yeah, one have skill is not enough. No, I, I try to. I try to do as much as I can. Yeah. No, but That's it's it's uh, you know, um, I mean, I could probably talk, Brandon. You and I could probably talk a lot about the effects of crazy rich Asians yeah. on because I recently saw it over the weekend and I saw the effect it had on like 
like a whole bunch of my Asian friends on Facebook suddenly talking about how they've kind of found themselves. Oh. And I'm like, oh my God, like it's actually kind of true. But that, mm. that, that's a completely different topic. Definitely you know? empowered by now. Yeah, yeah, definitely more empowered. But back time. then, yeah. <laughs> but back then for me, it was like, yeah, I liked playing Metal Gear Solid for the first time. Like Hideo oh, Kojima was doing awesome stuff. And then I was playing Final Fantasy VIII and I was thinking, damn, like, these guys really know how to like like write really good stories i was playing Mm -hmm. starcraft and i was really like you know so i was it was kind of like this golden age for me where i realized that like the games had like gone through this revolutionary sort of leap and i on the flip side was like failing all my classes not really failing but like not getting straight a's where if you get get, yeah if you get like a b it's like your your parents go what what yeah why no a you know B plus, why not A plus? You know, like that. It's 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 funny because it's true and it hurts. And um, you know, back then, uh, my best friend and he's still um, best friends with I. Um, we we decided, you know what, we're going to make video games growing up, and we're going to do everything that we can to get into the video game industry. And um, yeah, so we just started like consciously like doing things that would help develop our creative skills because back then nobody knew what does it mean to be a game designer you know right um and so obviously my parents weren't super excited like when i like kind of switched majors from pre-med which was biology uh to i chose economics because it required the least number of upperclassmen uh mm-hmm. classes in order to so so that allowed me to take like oh i took a lot of business and music mm-hmm. and and all this other stuff uh more liberal artsy things and um it's like another yeah. form of min-maxing. Yeah, <laughs> it shows up again. <laughs> yep, shows, yep, my min-maxing when I was young showed up. And uh, yeah, I was uh, kind of um, viewed as a bit of a black sheep because a lot of my uh, cousins are like uh, Harvard, uh, Ivy League, like top cum laude, or did I even say that right? Um, yeah, anyway, that. yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> like uh, doctors, I, engineers, and lawyers, yeah. and you know, they're all super great. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm a... I'm a I'm a I'm a economics major and I do, <laughs> and I do video games, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, after that, like after um, I realized I wanted to do games, like I kind of just stuck with it and mm-hmm. got a job as a GameStop employee, and you know kept kept my eyes open for like any opportunities, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I still remember I was talking to my parents about like. That night when I decided I was going to move out, because um, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, mm-hmm. like was like with us um, at the time, and I said, "Yeah, we're going to move to California, and I'm going to become a QA tester, and it's going to be um, it's ten dollars an hour job, uh, no, <laughs> no benefits, no benefits." It's and a tough like, sell, man. Oh yeah, no, they it, it wasn't a sell. I was just kind of <laughs> declaring it. So yeah. I think like there was like. Um, when I say that my life was like punctuated by like crazy sort of statements and mm-hmm. backing it up, mm-hmm. I think like that's kind of why like I think anyone who enters the industry is like got something special mm-hmm. like that that just sort of like they want to do video games, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they're so smart and so passionate that they could probably make more money doing something else. Like mm-hmm. I could probably mm-hmm. become a financial investor or something mm-hmm. like that, but you know, they want to do games because they want to entertain people because right. they, you know, they, they, they don't take life so seriously that everything is about, you know, ah, this is going to sound bad, but it's like, I think it's just, I think it's important that people are entertained and they, they find time to relax because life is difficult. Very, very tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
I mean, who's going to build the matrix if we don't, right? <laughs> I'd rather be on the building side of that thing. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want to be the Colonel Sanders of that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, I mean, this moves on. Uh, you were standard fail, visual concepts, eventually become lead, and then you moved to Blizzard. Um, you spent a good amount of time at Blizzard from the last time we talked. How was that experience? Like, obviously, 10 years is a long time. And most people yeah. aim for Blizzard to s- retire there. Yeah. So, like, so, I, of thinking? so when I got into Blizzard, like, I think that if I, when I look back on it now, but it's only been four years, I definitely look at it and go, oh, my God, this, this, this kid peaked like super early in his life. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm going to say some stuff to conclude all of it that is is both is is blunt and true and honest but mm-hmm. like but i'll i'll get to that um so when i started at blizzard like i definitely felt oh my god like i was the first level designer hired out of the mod community not oh, wow. the first one but the first set of people who are coming in right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and i and i remember just feeling so welled with pride and assurance that like oh my god like like uh, my shit don't stink. Like I'm the best thing ever since sliced bread and all that. Mm-hmm. But then like within the first like week of being at blizzard, I was like, Oh my God, there's, there's some really smart people here and I've got mm-hmm. a lot, got a lot to learn. Right. So I just became a sponge. Like I, I felt that like, um, I never was conscious about the fact that I was at blizzard. Therefore I should just learn everything. I've always wanted to learn. I've always wanted to just pick up new skills because earlier when I said I wanted to create like my own game studio, which really has evolved into like create games that I really love. Um, that was always true. Even when I was like younger in college and all that, like I just think about the moments that people have that just feel so damn good when they play games. And I want to recreate that. Um, and so um, that drove me a lot as I was at Blizzard working on Warcraft 3 and then eventually Starcraft 2 and then eventually Heroes of the Storm, just trying to take in as much as I can to learn about the craft, learn about how people relate their sort of like life into the game itself and what they really care about when they play the games and really just try to like get super good at my craft so I could draw that out. Um you know, and so working at StarCraft 2, or working at Warcraft 3 and then StarCraft 2, I was focused mostly on content design. Mm-hmm. And I like learned how to use the tools that we had at like, you know, world class level. So, you know, learning how to work with the tools engineers, working with the artists and narrative and creative in general to make really great stories, working with the multiplayer system designers to like um, create great units for multiplayer. Uh, mentor like some of the designers on how to use the tools really well so just try to add as much like value as possible um and blizzard blizzard like any like really well established video game uh studio like you know they they recognized it they put me in positions where i could affect more areas of the game um i was promoted a lot uh and i and i look back and i'm really thankful for all of that mm-hmm. um and i just kept adding lots and lots of value so you know, like, I think like, um, Blizzard's not like in terms of like, you know, you got to make a game, you got to like communicate to people, you got to do all that stuff. Um, it's not different, like at the high level compared to say like Riot Wargaming or Pocket Gems. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has, ha- it's just been around longer 
and it's gone through a lot of like the hiccups that you would expect you know like, mm-hmm. like blizzard i think is on like what 25 years now mm-hmm. you know but that amount of time that they have like that that absolute time that they've existed relative to other companies that's all going to get smaller and smaller through the years you know um and i'm not saying blizzard is going anywhere i'm just saying that mm-hmm. like a lot of what blizzard has done well like um i think like can be crystallized into like pillars on like best practices around how to creatively collaborate how to prioritize certain types of development how to think of the long term and and so on and so forth and um you know like that's what i took in as as a young guy who slowly grew up through the ranks like you know blizzard's just freaking amazing mm-hmm. um but always in the back of my head i'm like well how did they do it you know like what exactly is it that makes them so good you know yeah. and always just sort of like taking notes in the back of my head because you know i'm it, it I, like both my parents are phd scientists mm-hmm. whatever right so they're they're smart people yeah. i mean i got it I have my my faux PhD in game design, I guess, for mm-hmm. doing it the last fifteen years. You know, yeah. your analytical abilities were predisposed to being better than average. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's actually where like um, the biggest split that I remember uh, was in game design is between content and systems. Mm-hmm. And um, when you talk, Larry, you talk about like analytics. Like that's that's actually what it is. It's like at some point. You know, when you're like an artist or you're a content designer, you cr- try to craft the best piece of whatever the heck you're making, whether it's a great unit, a great environment, a great mission, right? But it's a singular piece of like a singular piece of content that exists like in a vacuum and it's great. But then you start to realize, wait, there's systems of all of this content that's interconnected. And that's when, like, it sort of blew my mind, and I started thinking, like, oh my god, I'm glad I'm an econ major. I sort of see how all of these different like uh, systems for both the gameplay and development sort of connect with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's and that and like that was something that, um, like, when I realized, like, I remember one of the the lead designers and I uh, mentioned to me on Heroes of the Storm. Uh, Johnny Ebert, he's like, Richard, you saw the Matrix, didn't you? I was just gonna say, yes. it's like, yes. it like when Neil saw the Matrix. Yes, I did. Yeah, it totally was like that. And then I saw, like, when you're designing a hero, it should be like this. And how it relates to the battleground is this. And then the cohesion between fantasy and the mechanics and the role of the characters. And I would talk about this, like, I could talk about this right now, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was very, very, like, I felt like I had ascended, you know what I mean? Or I had a mm-hmm. level of enlightenment, but but that, but that was like sort of always, but that's fueled by this desire to always learn because I was so passionate about like just doing the best that I absolutely could. Mm. Yeah. Jesus. And being lucky to be at Blizzard, you know? So, yeah. And they, they, they didn't really stop me from like doing as much as I could to add value and learn and, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, man. When you go back to the start and you're talking about I'm playing Warcraft 3 or I'm playing Starcraft 2 and I'm making these mods, yeah. what made you even think to open up the editor the first time and like try to use it? You know, uh, so the, the very first editor I used was uh, like D&D, actually. So this okay. is the first time ever that I've ever talked to anybody uh, in the video game industry that I actually played D and D when I was a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone just, yeah, everyone just assumed, Oh, you play D and D. Right. But I never actually talked about it. Right. Um, but back then my parents, and this is partially why the desire to, 
Whoa. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> we got a couple extra guests on the podcast, guys. Don't yeah, worry. I know. <laughs> yep. Sorry about that, guys. Um, yeah, the I would make D and D's things for for my nerdy friends and I, and uh, we like I was always the d- dungeon master, and I always tried to like write great stories and mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. This was back when I was like ten years old or something like that. Um, You're playing D and D at ten. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Par yeah, for the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but that, but having that tool to sort of like tell stories and like just having something that gave you the framework and all of like the art and just like the simple dialogue text and having a, a library of sounds and effects. Like, I mean, th- like when, when I got that for Warcraft two and then Starcraft one, I was like, oh, I'm in heaven. Like I can just, I can do anything that I want. And back yeah. then, like, you know, 3d, well, fake 3d graphics was like you know the absolute shit and then warcraft 3 came out with true 3d and it was like yeah yeah, real 3d i'm like oh my god i don't need i don't need to go back to my old dungeon master ways but um yeah like that that's that's where it all came from and it all comes down to like um i think i think it's hip to say now that like game designers were like misfits back then like they were the nerds Mm -hmm. that like rebelled against like people who didn't understand or whatever right but like really now when you look at it it's like no like people actually it's kind of like you know um accepted sort of escapism it's like you know you want to like actually the best way the best way that i can talk about like the state of things is like you go to comic con you go to any con and there's and and cosplay is accepted you know Mm -hmm. and then like like that's that in a way is kind of like larping but in a much more like um well, much more like w- with a fan slant to it, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that that it's always been underneath like all of our layers of like social consciousness. Um, but back then, it was always kind of like a, but the the passion behind it was always there. It was just never like blossomed out. Mm-hmm. I was just better at hiding it from other people than like other people you know what i mean like my parents never found out like you know like i i knew i knew how to do it behind their back and and still get all a's in high school and stuff so mm. whatever yeah. <laughs> the way you're talking about designing games is so funny <laughs> like i was hiding it from my parents from my phd parents, my PhD parents yeah <laughs> Man, let me tell you, I disappoint people all the time because people <laughs> walk up to me like, "Oh man, so what are you? What are you? Football, basketball?" And I'm like, uh, "Game design." Why would man. they? Why, why, why would they what think a waste. football or a basketball player, man? Like, what is? Maybe if you look past the obvious, Larry is like a six foot five monster. Oh my god, I can't, can't tell through no, the webcam. No, I can't webcam. tell through the webcam at all. One of these days, we got to hang out. Than both of us combined. So. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, not as solid as I used to be. I've been taking decades <laughs> off of the gym, but yeah, it's, it's just funny. That's I do, you know, disappoint people and telling them that, like, no, just, just a game designer. Sorry. I think I think that there's something like. This is gonna this is gonna sound like a complete reach, but I think mm. one of these days we'll look back on it. Uh, and pe- when, when you get to when you start talking about people who have like had thirty and forty years of game design experience, then it's gonna it's gonna this is gonna resonate more true. But my analogy is sort of like how when I watch Jerry Seinfeld doing comedians and cars getting coffee, mm. like there's gonna be like the distinction between like comedians and comics. And then, like, mm. for game designers, there's going to be that split, but I don't know what that is. Mm. And then, like, when if you start to, like, unearth a little bit about why did you want to become a game designer, you, if you do that long enough, then you'll start to realize that there's something, like, 
that's very similar to comedians where mm-hmm. you just want to entertain. And it's actually a very important job. And, you know, there's not a lot of people who are actually qualified to do it because mm-hmm. it's actually such a very difficult job yeah. to balance being serious while also being technical or yeah. being business minded, being mm-hmm. a leader. You know what I mean? Like all these things are actually we laugh about it now, but it's actually extremely difficult. It's a lot and, of work. Yeah. And why you do it ultimately is like. Yeah, it's so that rich people, rich kids with lots of money can have like really fun digital toys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, or like much. yeah, yeah, or like or like more, I guess like more accurately nowadays, it's like there's a ton of free to play games on mobile and like right. people in like China who's never had like a who'll never have like a PC or console can like have a triple A experience, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of China. Yeah. Next to China, South Korea. Did you South get it? Korea, yeah. <laughs> so you're Korean, obviously, and you worked on StarCraft too, and you worked at Blizzard, obviously. Did you get any of that South Korean love? Like they treat oh, game developers and celebrities, any of that? Or is it just pro gamers <laughs> over there? Um, I never actually went to uh, – I went to Korea when I was at Riot. So I didn't go to Korea when I was at Blizzard. Um, I actually um, missed – the opportunity to go to Korea at Blizzard when we announced StarCraft 2. Oh, I forget I forget the reason why. I think it had something to do with like I was sick or my wife was sick or something. Mm. I'm not sure. But uh no that that Your was, wife was sick. You're just being nice. Just, <laughs> <laughs> actually and if you listen to this podcast, I don't remember. Do you remember? Um <laughs> let me text me when you when you know. Um but anyway um no like uh we go to um you go to BlizzCon, uh, there's there's always lots of fans. And I'm not saying there's more South Korean fans than non-South Korean fans, but like you just feel a lot of the love. It helps mm-hmm. to remind you why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter if it's South Korea. It doesn't matter if you go to, like say, uh, Germany for – and I'm totally blanking on the con there. Do you guys remember what Gamescom? Gamescom. There you go. Yeah, or like um, – yeah, there you go. <laughs> um Working at Blizzard, actually working at any video game company, when you set up like a convention like that, like fans will come out and they'll they'll show their love, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it wasn't like skewed towards South Korea, Blizzard, or anything like that. It was just, you know, um, people enjoy the games, and when they join, when they go to a con, they just want to experience more of what they love just mm-hmm. in person, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was actually one of the lessons that I took from PR uh, that it's like. You know, you go to these cons and like don't don't let it get too much to your head because like like you, Richard Koo, could be replaced with like, you know, Larry or Brandon. But mm-hmm. as, if they know that, hey, you work on StarCraft 2 and you did this, like they're just going to be like, oh, my God, you know, like this. And that's this is how it is, you know, um, like they, they, they love um, the game more than they love the person in a lot of ways. And. You know, there's there's try not to be too much of an auteur about it, but um, <laughs> hopefully I've dodged that question effectively. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Let me tell you about my experiences on StarCraft. <laughs> That's not the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Larry, let's hear a word from our sponsors and some other news. Dang, dude, your, your scene's looking pretty sharp, but it, it's like it's getting faster and faster that you're working on this kind of stuff. I, usually it takes you a while, but... You know, you cleared a whole room in like the last hour I was watching over your shoulder. What's going on? This is all thanks to Quixel Megascans, the photogrammetry program from Quixel that allows me to use photogrammetry textures and assets to put into my scene. 
it's as easy as drag and drop and it's something that you i anybody in the game industry can use right now oh nice well where do i go and find out more about quixel and megascans go to megascans.se you can use our promo code gdu that gives you 30 percent off for the first three months but what exactly do i get if i use that promo code you get a couple apps, right? Megascans is a library, so uh, they update that every week. Also, you have uh, Quixel Mixer that allows you to kind of customize your own textures using their library. And the Quixel Bridge that allows you to uh, easily integrate it into Unreal Engine or Unity. It's nice. going to be really helpful for you. So if you want to be able to use photorealistic art in your games, in your architectural previs, in whatever 3D projects you're working on, and you need high-level, top-quality-looking art, you can definitely go to Quixel Suite, get Megascans, you can use Bridge, and you can also use Mixer. That's a heavy combination, and it's available for less money than it normally costs. So exactly. definitely use our code. Begin your make, subscription now. Yeah, and you yes. can make art that looks like Brandon's. Exactly. <laughs> so let's move on to the next phase i mean obviously you you went to ride after blizz uh how was that <laughs> was the experience like they're they're, they're kind of aspired to make well i mean right only has one game but you know they're kind of within the same vein of the type of games they want to the sector that one would be in uh in terms yeah, so, of operation, is it kind of similar or uh it's very different it's very very different i think that um Word of advice to anybody who's worked at any company for like longer than like five or six years or however you however long you feel like, hey, you've had a tenure there. You know, mm-hmm. um, I I at Blizzard had started as an assistant designer and I was all the way to design lead or lead designer or whatever you want to call it back then. Mm-hmm. Um, the titles didn't really matter as much at Blizzard as it doesn't really matter like anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, the culture at Riot was very different, but I'll explain like the main reason why. When I was working at Heroes of the Storm, we were kind of like in R&D mode for a long time. Yeah. And a lot of my time on StarCraft II was R&D mode because you're making a box product. But mm-hmm. even when you launch the first game, you go into making the next campaign mm-hmm. and you're kind of just like operating in a black box. So... Mm-hmm. Working at jumping to Riot, the biggest thing that like tripped me up was like, hey, this is a game that's been out for over three to five years. I forget exactly how that's long. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they they already have all their shit together. They already know how to like do everything. And so, you know, when I when I went there at Riot, I was like, hey guys, like, so can we? You know, I was a lead designer on the systems team. I was like, can we add like, you know, can we harvest like? the forest for lumber so you can force mm-hmm. create your siege machine and i remember being told like well what problem are you trying to solve and mm-hmm. i'm like that's very true i, I think <laughs> i'm like what do you mean i'm just I, i'm a designer i'm just yeah. trying to make cool designing stuff, things you know? <laughs> i'm designing things you know and that and that i think like like helps to encapsulate the experience that i had there where it's mm-hmm. like you know the game was already mature and a lot of their compass is divined by what the community wants. Right. And and every single person at Riot being like a pretty hardcore League of Legends player. And it's actually it's it, it like over indexes a bit in game design where, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're not really a great fan of the game and you don't play the game a lot, how can you be a great game designer for right. it? Especially when your company motto is being the most um, I think it's player focused. Yeah, player focused company in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, just and and so 
I had a hard time adjusting to that and really sort of seeing like the value of my design skill expressed in the way they were doing things. Right. So it was, yeah. it was, it was a tough time for me for sure. Yeah. Vis-a-vis you felt like a prison guard. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. That, that is a very interesting perspective. I mean, yeah. that's something that if you really do think about it, you can come to the conclusion too, because obviously you're maintaining this tea garden where yeah. It's been released. It's been approved. Yeah. And uh, in a way, formulaic where they don't want to mess with the formula to yes. to hurt any existing sales or customers or upset yeah. the community they built so long for. And the longer that continues, the harder for designers to actually design anything new. Yeah. Right. Which right. Is- when, you, when you look at the constraints, right? Like, hey, yeah. this is all that you're allowed to work within, like this little box. And everyone yeah. on the team has to be in that same little box as a yeah. designer. But you yeah. still have to come up with original concepts or original implementation yep. strategies for the new types of heroes that you want to introduce to that game. You know, mm-hmm. it's... God, and then there's what, like 300 of them at this point? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You can probably look it up. It's probably closer to 150. Yeah, at this it's point. like, like yeah. 200, I thought. Yeah. yeah, that's um, a very interesting perspective. Then. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. And I mean, like the biggest thing is that you go there and um, you realize that what adds the most value to the player experience is actually not new champions mm-hmm. and it's not new gameplay. It's actually a lot of the events mm-hmm. and things that they do to what we call at Pocket Gems, the super mm-hmm. game, like the, yeah. the the stuff that's outside of the game that you sort of hit upon every time you go back into the game. And now mm-hmm. that said, the gameplay systems team eventually were able to f- come up with the design to revamp runes and masteries and, mm-hmm. um, and the events team. So like we're able to put out awesome stuff like bilge water and whatnot. But then when you're actually working on the in game and you're like tuning a champion that maybe like in the, you know, bottom 50% of usage, you sort of wonder like, why am I even doing this? You know, <laughs> um, like there's obvious sort of like things to work on to add value. And there's a lot of things that don't add value that are still important to work on. But like, when you think about like, you know, coming from blizzard and it's all about showing off something amazing at blizzcon you know or showing at the internal company demos or just like trying to create some new experience because that's in that company's motto like it's a difficult transition and i and i had a hard time like really finding my place there and really like looking at the other prospects i had within the company of like Mm -hmm. r&d i mean you said it not me it's still just one game you know, mm. so it's still it, it was hard to like go get really excited about <laughs> trying to really push on yeah. trying to get onto one of those because I'm yeah. like I'm just used to shipping stuff. I guess yeah. I don't know, yeah. or like you know, I'm not. I don't kind of a burn but also like i wasn't i wasn't perfectly i wasn't the perfect designer for Riot Games. Right, too, right, right. So there we go. Was, yeah, I was gonna. Did I, I drop? I, 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 no, no. Well, I'll essentially, you know, that's the uh, PhD genetics running through his veins. Uh, when I hear him just like <laughs> going there and just turning a few dials and call it a day, yeah, it's a dream job for most people. <laughs> it's like, it pro- so, so just go it, hide in the PC cafes there, and just- it, it is like the cynical side of me wants to say that there's a lot of people probably at Riot who are really good at saying that they're doing stuff. Something, yeah, yeah. But when you think about like. 
you know how, how many people are really do? Yeah. yeah how, how much can you really do and the sheer number of people working on league it's like kind of it's a little bit head scratching and brendan i mean like you know were you were you there last friday at the presentation that i gave about like at, at pocket gems yeah yeah, yeah 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 i talked about how like world of warcraft is like the starting point of it then league of legends is the next part where like you can add a lot of value by focusing on content that's easier to add stuff. So instead of like an entire world in Warcraft, you have League of Legends with just champions and multiplayer externalities. Mm-hmm. Now you look at like fast forward to like Minecraft and then Fortnite. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, like, you know, the industry as a whole has gotten really good at adding a lot of quality content highly efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to bite those games, it, like the older games in the ass at some point. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just saying, I mean, like, you know, that's just business theory. That's, that has nothing to do with being a game designer, but right, right, you know, right. I'm dropping my PhD. Not <laughs> no, I'm not a PhD guy. No, not, not PhD guy yet. Well, do you feel like let's kind of piggyback off of what you were saying there and just identifying that the game industry or the game developers are like getting really good at adding content and efficiency a lot. Well, everything that you brought up just then was multiplayer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. How do you personally feel about where you feel like the pendulum is shifting away from single player kind of toward multiplayer only as the like predominant type of game that players are going to be experiencing over the next five years? So, so um, I think that I'm actually, uh, actually right now I'm, I'm stopping a little because I can, I'm actually opening my presentation right no. now. Uh <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want Pocket Gems to to sue me or anything like that. These are this is just like my own broad theory. Okay. Um, I think that there's like really deep engagement that players feel and experience around like social engagement, um, mastery, uh, skill expression, mm-hmm. and uh, relatedness, which is uh, which is social. So uh, so I think like there's um, if you. I think most ga- big game companies have sort of figured it out. Like if you have a game that's all about social and then it's like skill mastery and then you can express yourself and then you have agency. I kind of messed up the previous list. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, then, then, then people like just naturally get more addicted to it. So it's like mm-hmm. when, when, if you're like a PVP gamer and I say, yo, Larry, this game doesn't have PVP. Like mm-hmm. The opposite is true for people when you say this game is about PvP, um, and then they they just get excited for it because they enjoy that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and I think like most, some, maybe most, maybe all game companies realize that it's just now it's going to be more of a question of execution, mm-hmm. and execution ultimately comes down to high quality game content. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. I think there's got to be. For single player, everything ha- every genre has evolved in some in some sort of way. And if you rely, I mean, obviously there are still like games like God of War doing just fine. Yeah. Um, slightly open world, but not really. It's a linear experience, right? Mm-hmm. But um, like just taking lessons from mobile or other aspects where there's a social aspect to the single player narrative game, like a like a social event that happens. Mm-hmm. That could work. I uh, don't know. I, I don't know any games that are doing that yet, but it is something that hopefully AAA games that are continuing to do the narrative route is thinking about to kind of evolve and make you know streaming mostly more fun. 
right? Yeah, if it's yeah. more watchable, I think there's there's a way for it to survive. Otherwise, yeah, watching a I, movie is never fun, right? Yeah, I think like that's actually why the streamability is one of the intangibles that I list because it doesn't really fall into. It's more of like a big social multiplier. Like mm-hmm. um, Fortnite is one of the best games to sort of like watch mm-hmm. because you're like with every kill, with everything they loot, that tension constantly rises. Right. And and that's like, that's just like good game design 101. But then mm-hmm. like when you have like the streamer's face on the screen, you know, like sweating bullets or they're talking shit or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Then it's like <laughs> even more fun watching experience. Yes. And then... You know, like Twitch has done a great job of making it very viral, and then it's easy to spread all the clips on both on Twitch, and then it populates to YouTube, and then goes on to Reddit, and you know. So I think like um, that's that's like a big part of it, like how viral the game actually is, which I think was one of the reasons why um, League of Legends did really really well. Mm-hmm. Like it it started to use like social media like more effectively than blizzard ever did mm-hmm. um and and i can say that confidently because i felt like we were like um basically they ran circles around us in terms of like really getting drumming up a lot of excitement around the league of legends versus heroes of the storm mm-hmm. um and so i think like um the lessons are there like like the blueprints on how to make super awesome games about it yeah. uh super awesome games in general um that knowledge curve i feel like is sort of like not diminishing but there's not like a huge explosion of like how much more do game companies need to learn in order to make a triple a game uh everything is like getting more saturated in general so it's going to be about attracting the right talent investing in people coming up with like good ideas and 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 just executing extremely well um in short like at a more high level video games is just a more mature industry you know, mm-hmm. um, and and that's and that's the case with all industries. You know, mm-hmm. and I and I hate saying it because I sound like a derpy economics, a soulless economics major, but that's what it is, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's true, man. I'd say products are mature, developers are more mature. The vocal yeah. public is uh, are louder. Not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's true, Larry. Uh, well, well, let's move. Go ahead, Larry. No, no, go ahead, man. You can. Well, let's move to the next phase of your life, man. Uh, oh. So you did consulting for Wargaming? What was that situation? Oh, uh, oh, God, I thought you forgot that we were actually talking <laughs> about my life. Let me open up my LinkedIn again. <laughs> Dude, you guys don't understand. Like when you've worked, well, you guys have worked for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Like at some point you just kind of forget. I forgot I'm about yesterday, point, dude. I'm at the point where I forgot <laughs> the exact years I worked at. Yeah, places, I forgot the exact I, years. I still know the order. I still know the order. Yeah. I just forgot. Like, what's that? Yeah, I know the beginning and then the order and where yeah. I am right now sometimes. You know, in a way, it's actually like for me, I feel it's both good and bad that I forget because, like, last Friday, you know, Brandon, I did that whole long spiel about new products and stuff. And then mm-hmm. today, I just feel like. I haven't done anything. I need to just like do stuff, you know? So I, I wrote up a whole bunch of design specs and all. Oh, um, yeah, no, it's all good. Um, it, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be good. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm looking at like, now that I've stalled for time. Um, so after riot, um, I realized that a lot of my passion was actually in building new games from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a gap of time between when, 
uh, I left Riot and when I actually started consulting for Wargaming. And that was when I was actually a freelance game designer, director, lead designer, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Game director was effectively the position that all the startups that I was talking to were offering. So, you know, I, I worked with a lot of different startups. So I just said, okay, I'm game director. Um, <laughs> and so, sorry to wedge this into the pre wargaming experience but it's well, what happened was like you know there's a bunch of like uh when i when i went on to the open market and i told a bunch of my friends like hey you know like i'm not working at right anymore let's make some games right you're insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, insane. you must have had a lot of resistance your parents again got into the pictures like what are oh, you so, so at that point <laughs> at that point um i had already had two of their grandchildren so they didn't uh, care yeah, what yeah. i did they just mm. they just wanted to make sure that i was stable right of course like of course when is. i told them that i was like working with wargaming and then eventually yeah, gems, like they were like oh that's so great but you know you know how it is in the yeah. Asian culture yeah. i'm the i'm the oldest son my wife oh, yeah. is the oldest daughter and my kids oh, yeah. anyway All that pressure again Crazy rich Asians, another talk for another right. day. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, I worked with, um, there's, a, there's a company called Wonderstorm founded by Aaron E. Haas, Justin Richman, and Justin Stanisteven, uh, who worked on a Netflix original. They wanted to create a game alongside their uh, Netflix original Dragon Prince. Um, I joined them like, like almost immediately after Riot, they had mm-hmm. mentioned that they were working on that and all that stuff, and they wanted to make a video game that accompanied their uh, their Netflix original. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things, like I worked with them for like a couple months, but like but I actually left because one of the things, you, like you start to realize when you're working for startups, is that like you're working for no money and no yeah. benefits, yeah. And just equity mm-hmm. and just the Jeez. promise that you are going to, yeah. yeah. You know, and and, and like, equity, yeah, equity, and it was and it was a good amount of equity, and it was a good salary all on paper. But the question was like, we still needed to find funding. Right, a million still times needed, zero, bro. Yeah, a million times zero. Yeah, economics, <laughs> right? But the reason why I mentioned them is because they were the first guys that I joined. That right. like I felt after riot that I'm like, oh my god, I'm back so to my freedom. creative roots. Yeah. So much freedom, so much like, so much beauty in just crafting something amazing. Um, that's triple A quality because like you look at Aaron and Justin, uh, their background, you have uncharted, uh, three, you have avatar last airbender. And I'm just like, I was like, this is the best thing ever. Right. Yeah. But then fresh fresh out of prison, of course, (laughs) (laughs) but it was the first time that I felt like, okay, like, let me just actually take a piece of paper and draw out all the elements like old school D and D stuff and actually Mm -hmm. sit down uh and but the reality was like they were far from funding back then this is back in 2014 or 2016 you know and i i I need to say that because their netflix original came out three days ago right and it's really fucking good yeah it's awesome but but if you think about it if i was a long time yeah if i was game director on that that would have been over three uh two one and a half years from when i would join when we would waiting yeah. Right. And and it's not like I know they're working on the game, but it's not like it would have it would have taken a long time to get the game mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's sort of like the first world of working at startups. It's like it's tough because like, you know, you, you gravitate towards your friends and, and you you you're in a complete it's the highest risk possible. So you wanna like 
be with people that you can hang out with and, and is cool and you can like really go toe to toe with like when th- shit hits the fan mm-hmm. but you subtract money out of the situation and then it's like it's a deeply personal question it's like well how much money do you have like and aaron is like aaron was like open up open to the fact like yeah i mortgaged my house so that i can continue to work like this and i'm like dude i can't i can't, <laughs> I can't do that <laughs> It's like I guess I'll go back to work. <laughs> you know, like I can't do that, man. Um, and 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 so like you know, it was it was tough. Like I wish that like looking back on it because it was just right after riot, and I'd only been there for like a couple months. I felt like I wish I could have left it a little bit better. You know, I I, I didn't know how to tell people that their hopes and dreams were not aligned with my hopes and dreams because you're dealing with like. A currency, a communication that's really touching upon, like, why are you in the video game industry? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to entertain people, and the Dragon Prince is aimed at. It's like the Game of Thrones for children, right? I still remember the pitch extremely well, um, but it's like this is not the right place and time for me to work with you on this. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so it's like this really sad breakup. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah, I went through that a couple of times with a bunch of people. I mean, that's the one that like resonates the most with me because mm-hmm. like out of all of the startups that I worked with, so uh I won't even name all of them because I don't want to <laughs> single you know, digits what are we talking about here? Uh still, still single digits okay. because it was between February and September mm-hmm. when I actually was doing most of my startups and then after September I was splitting my time working with wargaming and with startups as well mm-hmm. uh, until the point where all the startups like kind of died and then just stuck with wargaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I think it's a, uh, being an entrepreneur is tough. Um, there's a, there's the, I think like it's, it's uh it's ne- it's never, it's, it's, it's really, really, really hard to relate those stories with people who haven't done it because it's, it's about as, painful as you would imagine it to be where you're doing things without any money Mm -hmm. and then it gets worse and Mm -hmm. then it gets worse and then it's like you got to dig super super deep and you realize why people do it because they uh like i always like i was trying to be fiscally responsible because i had like my my son and daughter at the time Mm -hmm. but if i wasn't i think that i i think i would have done harmful things to my body just trying Mm -hmm. to like keep up the pace in order to keep adding value with the hopes of like, we'll impress this investor or we'll impress that investor or we'll have a breakthrough if we just keep grinding through it. And then we'll, we'll find the, that the magic innovation somewhere just right around the corner. Right. Mm. Um, and so that stuff is really, really, really hard. But, um, but yeah, like what, what, what happened was that, um, one of the uh, Jerry Prochaska, who is the head of Wargaming third party publishing, he reached out to me in September of 2016 asking me if I would like to be an advisor for one of the projects that Wargaming was working on. Uh, Wargaming R&D. Yeah. And so I said, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> it was a, yes, well, yes, please. Um, it was perfectly timed. So I knew it was like there was like you couldn't plan a coincidence better than this like mm-hmm. um but in the summer of 2016 i went back to cornell to finish my degree um which is a different story in and of itself because um while talking to me you assumed oh this guy's talking about cornell he graduated from cornell is that is that correct brandon larry 
Now you look like a dropout. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, that's I was, correct. No, I no, assume I was, you graduated. Yeah, you, you, you I graduated. No, no, no. I, I, uh, I got kicked out of uh, Cornell for. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, but that's Dark again. That's ass. a different story. No, it's magicians too. It's fine. But you, you did go to Cornell, so it's I did not go to unreasonable. Cornell. But you went back and got your degree. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had three classes left, and um, I, 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 while I was doing startups, um, the fun thing about startups is that like you create the pitch for the investor, and then you have a lot of time on your hands. Mm. So I, I realized I, I had time to just go back to school. And just finish off the three classes that I needed right, to do. Right. Gotcha. And then, like, on the last week, the week after the last week of the last final, um, that's when Wargaming reached out to me. And then they asked me if I was ready to hop onto a plane to fly into international waters to help advise for a studio that I had never met for a game that I had only heard a description of. And I was like, but, but it was still matching a lot of my experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like, Sure, let's do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they they flew me out business class um, on short nice. notice, and and I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm gonna be a consultant." You know, mm-hmm. um, and 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 things went really well with that. Uh, mm-hmm. So 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 the lesson, kids, is like, you know, always <laughs> always make it's it's it really is about the people that you know, and you mm-hmm. and but you always want to be honest with people. You always yeah. want to let them know what gets you the most excited because Jerry realized when I talked, cause he was head of HR at riot when I started. And when I'm being honest about riot, it was difficult for me. And I laid it out to him about why exactly it was difficult and what the right sort of circumstances for me would have been to have drawn out the best in me as a designer. And he said, I think that this situation at Wargaming, cause he left riot and then he went to wargaming and then he was chief he was chief of hr back then but he's now chief of of r&d or, or sorry of third party publishing um and he said richard the situation that you had at riot i think will actually be really good uh at wargaming so i think this would be really awesome for you and then you know i i i was like dude this is fucking amazing i'm gonna mm. do it i'm gonna make you proud to have reached out to me and do the best that i can to do the best work that i can so mm. that 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 was that was actually how that started it was completely it was very very lucky <laughs> so while you were doing all the consulting um before flying out to to help with war gaming were you working out of home or did you have like a studio where were you working out of uh so at that po- time in september uh I had joined a small startup called Vision Ward, which was made by a bunch of guys who used to work at Blizzard. Um, the main guy, uh, Kevin Beardsley, he actually was um, one of the founding guys between uh, Carbine Studios, uh, so Wildstar. Um, and he uh, and I hooked up through a connection that a mutual connection that he and I had. And we were working together on a startup idea. And I actually worked at Vision Ward for over a year and a half. So it was a, it was a pretty stable setup. Um, and so I was working out of an office as like a consultant. I but see. when you're working at a startup, it's like, you know, like, hey, guys, we have an office. Do you mind if I just work on other stuff here too? You know, uh-huh. they're like, yeah, that's fine. It's all cool. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what I mean. It's like. The, the lines sort of get blurred. And eventually, a bunch of the guys at the startup Vision Ward um, joined Wargaming as like a uh, USA sort of like R&D team. Hmm. Um, so so that there's, that's a story for like, you know, six months after I joined or seven months after Wargaming. 
But yeah, no, I, I worked out of an office, but a lot of the times I would just because West Coast is like the furthest to the west before you have this big block of Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. It's on us to wake up early. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, um wargaming, the HQ is located in Cyprus, which is a 10 hours ahead. So if I woke up at like say 8 a.m., mm-hmm. that's 6 p.m. in the in that's the evening. Oh yeah. So so I would have to wake up at obviously 8 a.m. because I'm like any earlier is kind of ridiculous. And um, <laughs> yeah, so so like uh uh a lot of times I fielded my calls from home at 8 a.m. But if I was lucky enough, um, the development studio, Wargaming operates by hiring development studios around the world. And if I was lucky enough where they hired a development studio, like, you know, uh, closer to the West, then I could wake up at like, say, oh, my God, nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And then and then it's okay. Um, But yeah, most of my most of my work was out of home. Um, Eventually, it, it bled into. Uh, my startup with Vision Ward and working in a small uh, office uh, also in uh, SoCal. With your experiences then in remote consulting, how do you feel about the likelihood of more like remote businesses and game development actually existing where there's no oh. brick and mortar, the whole team is just scattered working with online tools and resources? Uh, I think that um, I think you're always going to need a brick and mortar in order for the uh, teams that require like face-to-face interaction to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I can't exactly uh, put my finger on what that um, team looks like, but sure. I do know like um, say for instance, uh, Phoenix labs up in Vancouver, they work primarily out of remote. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a studio that made like Orion, the blind forest that was primarily remote, but Microsoft published it. So they had like a really strong central sort of presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's totally possible. I think more and more now borders are sort of being blended and obviously like video cam uh, sort of video conferencing, um, Skype, Gmail, however you want, uh, Slack, like it helps like teams stay together. Mm -hmm. Um, What that will really stress is making sure that the core sort of creative vision is like really, really strong. Because honestly, when we were working at, was working at Wargaming, like it worked, you know, you had dudes in Cyprus and dudes in some undisclosed location for third-party publishing for my NDA permits Mm -hmm. me from not saying it. Mm -hmm. And then you had like stupid Asian advisors in West coast, all working together to make a great game. Mm -hmm. Um, So if your scope of the game is smaller, I could totally see like a small team working together to uh, create a great game, especially when you have like, you know, people that are really good at using the tools or publishing or whatever, you can certainly um, uh, remote in for a lot of game development for sure. Yeah. So you have such a, uh, as mentioned at the very beginning, such a breadth of uh, different uh, game development markets, right? You've, it seems like you have done it all. I mean, we're, we're starting to see uh, some kind of cross between two, maybe from AAA now and going to mobile and I'm playing with those, but you, you've you also played with startups and indie. So as a kind of like an overview and, and, and um, kind of helping listeners out there kind of want to cross over, what would you say to them about 
each individual market for them to best succeed. Oh, <laughs> would have been funny if the, show, the shows go on. There's somebody behind there. Yeah. Whatever, that's all good. You can see my my humble bedmaster. Um, anyway, um, what can I say? Uh, so to be clear, I I joined mobile because I believe in Pocket Gems sort of like mission statement to pioneer new experiences. Mobile gaming is growing. Uh, the devices only get stronger. Um, I mean, you can just see read all the business reports for it. Um, that may or may not be for everybody, but like I think that's another reinforcement why to get into it i've always loved like designing games and i always believe in elegance above everything else like so if you can execute a triple a quality type of game on a small screen like that's that's awesome like the, to me like that's a work of art and a reason to get into mobile games in and of itself mm-hmm. um I think that there will always be uh, challenges for any new, like, because mobile games have only been out for 10 years. So, like, not all of, like, the best practices have been established. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, when you're thinking about, like, making games, like, you always have to ask yourself, like, there's a big split between games where, you know, you're trying to pioneer and do something new and crazy or games that are just kind of like me too products. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It comes down to, do you want to work on an established franchise that already has a pre-established IP? Uh, or do you want to try to create something new? Um, and I, and I always advise people to think about what kind of risks do they want to do? Because again, it all comes back to economics for me. It's like, mm-hmm. are you super, super risky? If you're super, super risky, go join Magic Leap and go make some like crazy <laughs> fucking <laughs> AR VR game. I have no idea if, it, if people will actually want to play. Yeah. Um, but for me, I've always been sort of like moderately aggressive where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty obvious if you join mobile, you might as well just make a whole bunch of casual games if you want to make a ton of money and then mm-hmm. license a bunch of IPs and sort of cash in. Mm-hmm. You know, but Pocket Gems wants to build something that's more long-lasting. We want to build great games. So that's a bit more risky. Mm-hmm. But like where else are you gonna do it? You know, yeah. so like so when you think when I think about like why I join, it's like, no, I'm gonna do that. Because I, I I don't want to do something that's not very risky. And I certainly don't want to phone it in because we have the opportunity to work in games, so we might as well try to make something great out of it while we have the chance to before some young 25-year-old punk who thinks he knows it all replaces me because <laughs> I get too old or whatever. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That'll, that'll never happen. Um, <laughs> hopefully. Confidence. You know, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, hopefully um, that helps to sort of like answer the question of it. Like I, I, I enjoy like learning and doing things um for the for the sake of learning and i'm the kind of designer that likes to roll up his sleeve and just like get in there and actually Mm -hmm. like make stuff too it's not just about handing in a design spec it's about you know making sure that like hey here let me let me show you a little bit of what i can do because game design's hard it's not like art where it's like yo let me show you like this really cool thing game design's all master craft puppeteer kind of yeah. you know that kind of stuff you know what i'm talking about larry i know i know, I, know. Yeah. I, mean, it's, <laughs> I always refer to just like 
when you're an artist, it's like, yes, everyone knows what they're expecting to see. So like you have a point where you know that like you've either hit it or you didn't. Right. Whereas for us, it's like finesse, it's feeling, yes. it's emotion. And it's, there's not like a tangible thing that exists that you can point to and reference and say it was done, but you can get the feeling that, yeah, I, I nailed it. I've achieved yeah. it. Whatever thing it is that I was trying to do, I, I, I believe that the customer will appreciate this change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me ask you one question for all the young designers out there. If sure. there was any one resource on game design that like you could purchase like a book or like a tape or like a online class, was there anything that you did or that you remember coming up that was just incredibly beneficial for you? Like if you wanted to recommend, I hate to call it a commercial, but you know what I'm saying? Like no, if no, it's, no, it's literally the best thing that helped you, then um, it would help other people. Actually, so, um, well, I want to preface this by telling all the listeners that everyone learns differently. Mm -hmm. And I learn a lot because I'm an extroverted kind of guy by just talking to people. And what I ended up doing, and I realized that I surround myself with people who are less extroverted than I am, so I can do a lot of the talking, but have a lot of knowledge and Mm -hmm. are willing to sort of like talk about like what, why they're successful and to sort of like break down all of the things that they understand really, really well into things that I can take as an extrovert and communicate to other people. Because I strongly believe in sharing the vision and getting everybody on the same sort of page. Because if everybody understands what the creative vision is, then all the work that they do naturally plugs into it and they just sort of feel empowered. So Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I believe that game design is about um, really excellent leadership um, because it is so ephemeral. It is so abstract. And so like you need to like help talk people through that. Um, but as far as books go, um, the first book that we ever read at the game design book club at Blizzard was called the art of game design, a book of lenses. Mm, um, by Yep. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I thought it was a really, really excellent book, especially when you're starting uh, fresh because like, it helps you get become t-shaped so most most like um like people who are excellent at their craft can really drill into why their craft is good and they're just trying to master like their small slice of pie but then the reason why i like the book is because book of lenses like the abstract sort of principle is that if there's a problem that's right in the center of the whatever you're looking at and then all these lenses that look at it at different angles, like I think that's a good metaphor for understanding sort of lateral thinking. So you look at a problem from different angles, but it's also about teamwork too. Like, because, you know, if you're trying to build like a great project, you need to have like great design, great art, great tech. And those naturally encompass three very different perspectives. Um, And I feel like, uh, you know, the depth that you can learn your craft is not as deep as being able to lead a bunch of people who understand their craft better than you ever can, because you can never do it all by yourself. You, you need to learn how to work with people. You need to learn how to break down problems from all these different angles and stuff. And so a lot of the fundamentals of the art of game design, the book is like pretty strong. And I think like, uh, even if it doesn't translate perfectly in the, today's world, because it's, it's, uh, it's a bit slightly dated. Um, I think it's still a great book to start with. Yeah. It was like yeah. maybe Six, seven years by now, something like that. Six, maybe. Oh, I'm actually looking it up right now and trying to find it, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you that. I'll tell yeah. you in a second. Yeah, I know I it's got like it was, 
second edition, maybe even a, a thick second edition translated into multiple languages. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. The later editions were much, uh, are much more recent, but the original publication was in 2008. So about 10 years from now, it's still, it's still pretty relevant yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sweet. Cool. Uh, shall we go get drinks together and call it a night? I'm going to exit stage right. <laughs> this is Brandon Fam. See you guys next week. Oh, see you guys. Like that. Uh, wait, sorry. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. We're ending it with that. <laughs> oh, God. Bye bye. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.